Welcome to the Rogues on the Road podcast, where we talk food, beverage, travel, and everything in between. Good evening, and thanks for joining us again for another exciting episode. We're at the North Plank Road Tavern here in uh, Newburgh, New York. I'm Rich. I'm Matt, and we've got a very special guest. We've got Zach. Yep, pleasure. So thank you for yep. uh, for joining us. Uh, we came across Zach in the North Plank Tavern in Newburgh. Kind of like we heard we heard rumors about this about this tavern and its history, and um, if if we were to find out some of the old history, prohibition, pre-prohibition history, we were supposed to come here, and you were the person to find. And we're like boys in a candy store. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, guns, booze, and all sorts of fun things. Yeah, and loose women. Yep. Yeah. This this place has an enormous amount of history, and. It also has some paranormal history, which I overheard that you're going to have to chat about as well. Yes. Um, so, what's are you are you owner, part owner? How are you involved? Um, <clears throat> I think my official title is assistant manager, but um, my father's uh, owned the business since 1978. Okay. Um, he bought it from a, a local character who. You know, passed away back then, but is you know, is still known by people in, in my father's generation who grew up around here. Uh, guy, commonly called Mitch Nixon, but he maintained a couple different aliases, which we'll get into later. Awesome. And then I just like the name Mitch Nixon. You oh, just yeah. you're born to do something bad if your name is Mitch Nixon. Yeah, his his immigration papers that we have uh, framed are he looks like a very stereotypical early 1920s gangster. Cool. The, High buttoned uh, jacket yeah, and slicked yeah. back hair. Right. So yeah. the building's eighteen oh one. Ah, yeah, early eighteen hundreds. Um, yeah, <clears throat> we have gotten it back in deeds and records being sold in eighteen fifty one. The oral history from um, the old regular customers was that it was built for the uh, <clears throat> uh, Newburgh Strongung Plank Road, okay. which would have been a privately built toll road that opened for business in eighteen oh one. Um, when my father bought the place, uh, there's only been three owners since the 1890s. So in the course of three centuries now, it has changed hands very few times. That sounds like um, a successful business model. Yeah, really? yeah. yeah. I think there's been maybe five owners since the 1860s or something oh, like that, wow. where the paper trail begins to get, you know, thinner. Right, um, right. but when my father bought the place, he inherited a host of old regulars, like uh, one guy whose nephew still lives down the street. Um, and if he sees us, he'll know who I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> or it might have been a uh, grandnephew. But anyway, uh, you know, he was in his 90s in the 1970s. Uh, sixth, sixth Calvary? Sixth, sixth Calvary? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, the seventh was down in uh, Was what people, uh, what his response would be. Uh, no, 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 I was in the 6th. The 7th was in Laramie. 6th Calvary veteran uh, drinking his you know, $26 or $27 a month pension. Oh and, my. World War I? Uh, before World War I. 18, 1890s, 1900s. Oh, my God. You know, he, he was already out of the military in 1914. And so, um, you know, he uh, was living with his spinsters uh, across the street, across uh, Plank Road, and would watch every evening for the lights to come on in the bars. He could come down and, you know, 
drink his Fleischmann's and uh, Mick Ultra. Sounds good. To so, me. yeah, the, they the, had, wait, wait, wait. They, they had, had Mick, Mick Ultra? Ultra back then? Oh, in the you know, 1970s. <laughs> yeah, so the, you know, these were people who like had their first drink in the bar in the 1900s. And so there was a lot of uh, living history here 40 years ago. People right. who were already full grown adults in 1920 when Prohibition occurred. Uh, people who grew up, you know, knowing a lot of the local organized crime people, figures like Big Nelly, which is uh, probably a story for another episode. Right. Can uh, you uh, quickly explain Prohibition? A lot of uh, our viewers from England. Right. Ah, right, right. We don't know what that is. Yeah. Um, and I might have this wrong. And um, Matt might I be believe, able to pick uh, up on I it. believe the opening of the book, uh, New York Speakeasies of 1931, has a has an opening preamble that's something like. Uh, many New Yorkers felt prohibition was specifically aimed at them by hungover, born again Southern preachers. Gotcha. Um, essentially, for reasons, uh, prohibition had been, as a movement, was sort of one of the last stages of the progressive movement in the United States. It saw things like a minimum wage and end of child labor laws, uh, you know, food safety and sanitation. You know, Upton Sinclair's "The Jungle" is one that for American high school students is like. Um, mandatory reading and it was part of that movement to combat you know social ills as they would have viewed it it grew gradually where before you had a national prohibition on alcohol you had many prohibition uh, meaning total ban uh actually not a total ban if and my childhood friend the county historian is probably going to be you know face palming as she hears me get the facts wrong okay good uh but it was a ban on the sale sale import and uh, transportation of alcohol. You could still legally drink alcohol. Okay. In fact, one of the, right in 1919, before the law even came into effect, one of the big criticisms was, this favors rich people, because they can go and buy 30 cases of cognac and not have to worry where the working man doesn't have that sort of expendable money. So, you know, it technically wasn't a ban on alcohol, just making and distributing it, which effectively was a ban. And even, even interestingly, if you look at um, distilleries, commercial distilleries, large commercial distilleries like you know Stitzel Weller down in, in Kentucky, they were all fully operating yep. during Prohibition, right. uh, making um, uh, making medicinal. Uh, yeah, I, I think the the one Midwestern mobster, George Remus, um, you know a lot of his stock was being legally made. Yeah. Uh, we'll get to it later with uh, the trap doors and the bottles where some of the whiskey that we have here that's probably early 1930s, again, being legally made for export, <clears throat> excuse me, for export, and obviously never, you Exported. know. Right. Yeah. So there was that, it was a period, for those of you that, that don't know, Prohibition was that period from 1920, uh, 1932? Yeah, 1932, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the law I, law was passed 1920 and came into uh, 1919, came into effect 1920. And lasted how long? 30, yeah, almost 30, over 30, 10 years. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, almost wow. 10 years. And that's a lot of sneaking around. And it was medicinal purposes as to one of the one of the 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 ending variables of prohibition. Right, right, right. The same thing that we're seeing with marijuana, marijuana right, right now. Right. Yep. Um, so. That's so that's that's kind of what prohibition cool. was. Yeah, and not not to go into you know it's very easy with the sort of subject matter to go into tangent after tangent. Absolutely, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. absolutely. Um, 
you know, here, which again, we'll get into later where there was distilling happening here illegally. Um, Mitch was well known for his Applejack for making very high quality, you know, like, uh, you know, Calvados quality uh, Applejack. Here at the... Here on, on the property and in, in the two stills that he had. Okay. And those were intention. Those were illegal stills. Absolutely illegal. Okay. Yep. Uh-huh. Because this was what time period? Um, again, 1920s, 1930s. And apparently... Um, uh, his nieces, he never had children. His nieces are still local and they remember him showing up to mom's house in the 1950s and 60s with jerry cans full of Applejack <laughs> because the revenue agents were passing through and he happy, was still happy, doing it even right. then. Happy Christmas. And yeah. it makes sense. You, you know, if you're doing illegal distilling, you're going to ferment what is accessible right. to you. And here we are in apple country. This is apple country. And this is where the first agriculturally grown farmed apple trees came into the state. So that kind of, that makes a lot of sense. It's cool. So when, so that, that's kind of, is that when the, the North Plank Tavern really was like making the turn to go, you know, do something that's. Well, actually uh, the, uh, the bootlegging happened before that owner, Um, the landlady from the 1890s, uh, on through uh, about 1928, um, who again, you know, one part small town America, her great and great great grandchildren are still local and still come in. Um, she openly continued uh, serving alcohol after prohibition was enacted. Apparently, you know, according to the different, you know, the old mm. people, the descendants was also doing the distilling. Um, a friend of mine sent uh, sent me an article about another. Um, she was a German immigrant, about uh, same time pe- <clears throat> period about another uh, town of Newburgh German immigrant who was caught with a still in his barn after it poisoned all the fish in the local creek. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So she she supposedly just kept right on making it, kept right on openly selling it. Um, the city of Newburgh, you, you know, the oral history, the city of Newburgh's, you know, official unofficial stance. And you know something you know people might recognize today with all the the hubbub about sanctuary cities was this is a federal law we are a local government not our prerogative to enforce this right 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 right, right, right. so she openly served two police two judges perfect um, people talked about <sighs> good good cops as right. in cops who would accept bribes yeah, and yeah. Could continue yeah. carrying right. on as if nothing happened wow that sounds like Ireland and at this oh, yeah. <laughs> and so during the twenties and thirties during this time. This tavern was operating as a tavern, a guest house, restaurant. Uh, yes, but uh, technically it would have been a boarding house and, okay. and restaurant. If originally it was built um, to the end in you know real uh, traditional sense of a tavern, uh, you know rooms, you know room and board uh, for people taking the plank road. Um, unlike say Western Europe, East Asia, Highland Mexico, the Middle East. We don't have thousands of years of civilization to, you know, to denude the forest. Right. So when the Industrial Revolution began kicking off, uh, you had people you know, using wood to build toll roads. Uh, Newburgh was and is still, to a certain extent, a big uh, transportation hub okay. with the river, with the rail lines right, right, right. later on. This was the second, th- those of you that are listening and are not from New York or not familiar with the area, were probably about... I don't know, 60 miles up from, from Manhattan, yeah, about, yeah, 80 kilometers, um, take. right on the Hudson river. We're on the West shore of the Hudson river, yes. uh, in a vibrant, once vibrant 
city called Newburgh. Uh, to quote Monty Python, you know, did, I'm getting better. You know, it's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's going through a renaissance right now. Uh, it's, it's, an, it's an awesome town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this, this particular tavern is right off the main interstate, yep. um, kind of at a crossroads to get to the rest of the state. So it, it's, yep, it's at well- a crossroads between the, the main road to take to downtown, uh, right near one of the major uh, highway bridges. It, you know, built as a roadhouse, uh, absolutely still as a roadhouse. Um, you know, <clears throat> with the increase in direct flights to Europe, we are now getting in an international level. Yeah, right. Still, oh yeah, yeah. people having dinner before they head to uh, you know to Edinburgh yeah, yeah, yeah. or yeah, yeah. You know, wherever the connecting flight yeah. takes them. So, so, so we we're 1920s, 1930s. It's acting as a uh, a tavern restaurant. It's yeah. also acting as a you know, rooming house. Rooming um, house. I, I sort of laugh when, you know, occasionally you'll get a, I'll put my foot in my mouth, um, you know, an old, older lady will wander around and say, oh, it must have been so genteel here in the good old days. I have to, like, not bite, so much. bite my tongue. Yeah, yeah, no, you, wouldn't, not. Yeah, you wouldn't be caught that here back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, if you were living in a, in a rooming house in the 1800s, yeah. you were not really it was it, well. it wasn't that much different than a tenement, right? Yeah, basically, yeah. 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 You know, there, there was um, looking at in uh, deeds and records. You had a couple other German names living in the immediate neighborhood. You know, Newburg is still today a big immigrant community. You would have had a lot of um, <clears throat> Sicilian and Calabrese, uh, Irish, uh, Germans. I don't know from what region in Germany, but you know, the as phenomenon that you still t- see today. Uh, you know, immigrant groups passing through often from one region or another. Right. You know, today it's a lot of uh, people from the state of Puebla or uh, F- uh, Fujian Chinese instead of, you know, Sicilian Italians or, uh, you know, Bavarian Germans. Right, right. So. And so what the, What were the other revenue streams that were happening? What kind of... Uh, well, locally, Newburgh was a big, uh, big heavy industry place um, before the rise of Pittsburgh, before the rise of like the Pennsylvania oil strike. Um, like even near your distillery, you know, the foundry condominiums were a big steel mill foundry. Uh, Newburgh really specifically specialized in ornamental ironwork. Mm-hmm. A lot of the um, really ornate um, handrails, stoops, fences. From the middle uh, middle 1800s to the early 1900s, that was just the other a, side of the river was similar, right? Yeah, they specialized so like your in cold uh, spring and all that. But I don't. Beacon. They yeah. didn't have they didn't have as deep of a of a, a supply ba- basin, I think, yeah. for for larger right. boats. Right. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, right. it's yeah. You could um, Newburg the Newburgh bank of the river is a little deeper, yeah. so you did have a, a huge waterfront shipping. Hmm. Yeah. It transportation. was transportation. Yeah, it was really New York City, Newburgh, Albany. Those were the biggest. Right, yeah. Right, right. Those were the biggest. Yeah. So you had so there was all sorts of life coming in in and out of this yeah, particular yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. tavern. Yeah. What were the what were some of the, now? Did you say that this was also a house of ill repute? Yes. Um, so as I mentioned, you had the landlady, a uh, German immigrant who ran it from the late 1890s uh, on through 1928 when she got into trouble unrelated to bootlegging, which, which is a, you know, a story we'll, you know, I imagine we'll inevitably touch on. Um, <clears throat> oh, I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry, what was the question? Um, Ill, Ill oh, oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, so her great-grandchildren uh, really insist that she, during her time while they were doing the bootlegging, while they were serving legal alcohol, that the prostitution came in under her successor. 
Um, as I mentioned, she got into trouble unrelated to bootlegging and had to sell the business to the guy, I said, commonly called Mitch, legal name Anthony. Uh, he maintained several different aliases, Frank Mitchell, Antoine Nixon. Uh, we have him where a letter from a private detective is searching for him under another name, you know, supposedly be for someone's unclaimed inheritance, which given those... 1930s, 1940s, and he was actively involved in mafia. Probably wasn't you know, really yeah, to claim legit. it. So this sounds like this was a real turning point here. Oh yeah, he when he came in, expanded the distilling, um, you know, expanded the bootlegging, brought in prostitution, brought in gambling. Uh, upstairs, you would have had about 13 or so little railroad flat bedrooms, one small room opening into an adjacent small room which would have originally been, you know, the sort of hotel rooms in in the earlier times. Um, curiously, you had two staircases. One one we took out when we were modernizing, you know, not, you know, we wasn't born yet, uh, early 1980s when my father was modernizing. Um, the odd thing, the two staircases didn't connect. The two halves of the upper part of the building, you'd have to come all the way down and walk through the restaurant or to go, go out outside. The other side. Yep. And so on the west stairwell, second floor, uh, even in the late 70s, the, the card tables were still up there. The oh, blackjack wow. and poker tables were That's still so, there. That's so cool. um, as my Actually, I think my head might be blocking it, and the lighting's bad, but the object <laughs> right there that uh, I'm sort of pointing go. at, yeah, that you, is a 1920s slot machine. That was found broken and abandoned in one of one of the outbuildings that were here. Right, right, right. Um, what my father said uh, back in the day when when he was converting those little apartments, a lot of them still had not the synthetic linoleum from the 1950s, the burlap and linseed oil linoleum from the 1850s on the floor, wow. and you had you know, semicircular burn marks from all the cigarette butts that fell off of the slot machines. Yeah. So you could see where they had yeah, slot yeah, machines yeah. lined up against the walls from all the burn marks. And and all of this activity is illegal. Absolutely. Um, with um, you know, with prohibition came a general crackdown on a lot of a lot of vices. Um, while like alcohol, gambling did come back at a certain point, it was cracked down again in the 1950s. Hmm. Um, Sega, actually, the video game company, used to be service games industries, and they got their start by buying up all the slot machines that were now illegal oh, wow. and sending them to U.S. Army bases right, right, right. in other countries where gambling wasn't illegal. Smart. Yeah. So, yeah. So, it, yeah. it, it went in and out. Um, like, my grandfather met my grandmother at the old casino and nightclub that was on top of Mount Beacon um, across the river from Newburgh. He was a bass player, you know, cello bass in a a swing band. She was a groupie who would come up Friday night with her uh, girls from the office in New York City, follow the band around. World War II happened. You had a lot of war marriages as these, you know, young people were having to face, get old real quick. And so, yeah, you had locally... It went in and out. There's another casino at Orange Lake near Newburgh, and they rode the tides of legality and fundamentalist Christian influence that, you know, when they couldn't gamble, they'd become a nightclub. When they could bring slot machines back in, they'd bring slot machines right, back right, in. Right. You're, you're seeing nowadays, you know, the pendulum swinging back towards 
allowing it to be permissible as, as we're having all everything the is <laughs> so, oh yeah it really is yeah. Like Vegas yeah, I know yeah. everything is yeah. so have you did you is there any records of um, celebrities good and bad coming in here Unfortunate, uh, mobsters unfortunately people people ask that and I have to be completely honest good I'm, no not, I'm not aware of any records Though that is with the uh, caveat that uh, good old Mitch would have operated um, under Legs Diamonds organization. Again, for people who might not be from uh, the Northeast U.S., who uh, you know, might not be familiar with the history of Prohibition in New York State. Uh, oh, yep, that was found here. Um, Dutch Schultz and Legs Diamond were the two big, big uh, bootleggers for... Later, later 20s, early 30s. Uh, both of them died of sudden lead poisoning. Oh. <laughs> yeah. As you do. Yeah. 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 You know, inflicted by the Albany Sheriff's <laughs> Department and their girlfriend's bed at 4 o'clock in the morning. That bit. Yeah. Um, they probably yeah. had a drink here at some point. Yeah. Mm. The local Capo's house is, you know, less than a quarter mile away. The Petrelli Mansion and there's a lot of urban myths about that property. It's, it's this huge Tuscan villa in what otherwise would have been a quiet middle-class neighborhood in the 20s and 30s. Um, they supposedly have escape tunnels leading out from their sub-basement. They have a you know, Maginot Line bunker. Oh, the, yeah. Their detached garage has a basement. Yep. The basement has a basement. <laughs> and in the blueprints, there's you know, six-foot-tall, three-foot-wide drainage culverts leading out across the street into what would have been another big estate, you know, down the road. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, which though, those, you know, urban myth, urban legend, sometimes people, uh, a common thing with local people is they think that we have tunnels going from here to the Capo's mansion around the corner or from here to I, the river. I have to say there are rumors that there are tunnels here. That would have been a massive engineering operation. That would have been it's, huge. Yeah, we're in early 1800s Fieldstone Foundation. Yeah, right. So yeah. that would have been pretty impressive. But that... Maybe a myth. It, it gets all blended together. Yeah. Um, again, not... I apologize if I go into too many tangents. <clears throat> in the city of Poughkeepsie, about uh, 30 minutes by car north of here, you know, all of the, the popular memory, the folk memory, tends to blend things together. Right. And so our prohibition trap doors get mixed with the escape tunnel from the Cocos Mansion. Of course. And then that gets mixed where the river connection is. In the city of Poughkeepsie, uh, Dutch Schultz's um, distilling and brewing operations were truly, even at the height of prohibition, were huge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Employing hundreds of people, their own railway sidings, their own yeah. wharf. Um, it's a well known, you know, sort of. Not so much myth, but you know, remembered in the the popular memory that the the DPW, the the Department of Public Works in Poughkeepsie, alongside of laying water lines and natural gas lines and sewer lines, also laid beer lines. Jesus, because to you know, they the way they got around before the FBI, the way they got around the revenue agents, um, the local judges would not issue search warrants because they the revenue agents could never prove alcohol was being transported right, right, right. because the fleet of trucks never went near the distillery right. or the you know the barge loads of illegal whiskey right. were never appeared near the suspected distilleries and they were literally piping it underground 
um, across the city that. down to the water. Well, Dutch Dutch Schultz got busted, interestingly enough, not with illegal booze. He got busted because through town there were dump trucks of sugar. What are you doing with that? What the hell are you doing with a dump truck of sugar during Prohibition? You're going to ferment it. Yeah. And, and make it make it in make everyone happy. Yep. Sugar wash, moonshine. sugar yeah. wash, yeah. moonshine. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Wow. So I'm sure they've crossed paths. Yeah. So yeah, they. It would be extremely unlikely if they were not in here, especially since right. their their regional capo was. You can nearly see his mansion out the front door. You know, this was a well known spot. It, most likely, we just don't have it on record that right. they were in here. Right. And that's good. Yeah. That's, that's, that kinda, that's, that kinda, yeah, it, it adds to the... You imagine mobster wouldn't want to leave yeah. any records of where they were. So, yeah. Now, what happened to, to Mitch? What, what was his name? Uh, Mitch Mitch was his nickname, Anthony okay. Nixon. Um, he, he passed away of old age. Um, wow. You know, back to the... Just yeah. like 21 at the time. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, well, yeah, people, as I said, he, he was a local character. Uh, people in my father's generation who were born in the 50s and the 60s, um, you know, they remember him. He, even in the 60s, was still taking a cardboard and a magic marker and making his own license plate numbers because he was still bribing all of the local police departments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which they probably would not want that being, you know, Small jotted down, but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, when my father was negotiating with him, uh, he passed away before the deal was closed. Uh, his niece, uh, as I mentioned, he never had kids, but he was close with his nieces. Okay. They they still come in time to time. Oh, cool. Um, and again, they're they're a wealth. They, they can tell even more stories. Yeah, yeah. Um, but my father bought the place basically as a, ru- a rundown old man's dive bar. Um, he wasn't even aware that there was the one larger dining room at uh, the back. Yeah, it, it's just full of old 19th century furniture, boxes of random wow. stuff, shoemakers' tools, newspapers from the World War II era. Yeah, it, hoarder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Miscellaneous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, he he had a common law wife, Susie, and they lived in a couple of the rooms upstairs. I think the last probably 10, 20 ish years of business, I'm not even sure if the, the kitchen was really open. I think at the choice of you know, hamburger, and <laughs> toasted sandwich and soup. Yeah, yeah, soup. Yeah, yeah but they're always tomato it. soup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Or consomme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's it, for the high class. Really. There you yeah. go. So, so your dad took this over. It yep. was a dive bar. Did he have any idea what he was getting into? Only to a limited extent. Okay. So, as he was, fit, uh, you know, modernizing the place, you know, back then you still had lead water pipes and sudden yeah, right. post wiring. You had, a, 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 even in the 1970s, a wood-burning stove in the right. kitchen. Um, the gas lights had been removed, but the natural gas pipes for gas lights were you know, still, still there. Yeah, wow. you opened up the wall. Um, so, you know, now obviously we're a lot more modern and safe thing. But um, Opened the can of worms. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. yeah. yeah. Um, it's actually it's a little curious thing. Uh, if you look in the dining rooms, the, the speaker wires run through the old Edison porcelain um, tubes for passing. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. And interestingly enough, side note, if you're listening, this was one of the first cities that Thomas Edison picked Is it? to light the yep. city. Yeah, yeah. on a uh, commercial basis. On a commercial basis. And the, the lighting plant is 
still standing. Really? Yeah. Yep. Well, and it gives gives the namesake to the annual street festival, Newburgh Illuminated. It's sort of a nod to that. But oh, um, cool. so yeah, again, there, there's so many tangents you can go on. My, yeah, my yeah. apologize. No, no, apologize. no. This is a long rambling answer. Um, so in in modernizing the place, he and my maternal grandfather were building a, a modern kitchen. Um, there's a one-story wing with the big dining room and the old kitchen, which the old old kitchen probably would have been in the basement as would have been common in buildings back in the day. Mm. You know, in that pre, you know, running water and in natural gas time period. Um, he had heard from the old customers and from the, you know, family members of the old owners that the reason why the uh, lady who was running it from, you know, at the start of Prohibition, uh, Mrs. Augusta Sauer, the reason she had had to sell the place was not that she got in trouble with revenue agents, uh, but rather uh, she was a German uh, German immigrant widower, moved up from New York City, uh, had an adult son, also had an abusive boyfriend, um, was openly serving alcohol. But as you know, anyone who has seen Boardwalk Empire can tell, you know, and they they do a good good amount of research for that show. Um, policing prohibition was like policing the drug trade in, in Latin America. Yeah, pick and choose your battles. You know, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna put out the big flames, not not all the little ones. Yeah, you know, whatever gang can bribe me more, they're gonna have this territory. Right. And so she did maintain trapdoors for hiding booze in the event of a raid. Uh, early 1980s, my father now having had the building for a few years, you know, modernizing the place. The 13 little tenement rooms with one bathroom for all 13 rooms are now four, you know, you know small but four decently sized one bedroom apartments with, right. with their own bathroom. Thank God. Yep. Um, you know, and electricity and all sorts of things like that. But in the old kitchen's closet under the linoleum, should I be looking at you guys or looking at the uh, camera? Let's do it all. You can do it all. We kind of, we kind of, and we've got like people commenting on yep. the show. Oh yeah, we yep, can't yep. even see what they're saying. No, no, Rosa. That's <laughs> not the Soviet invasion of Finland. I think not really. Was <laughs> just about to. Rosa is saying I was just about. Oh yeah, they were interested in what prohibition is. Cool. Hope, hope, Thank you. Awesome. Ho- hopefully, you. Zach answered answered uh, your yep. question. Or has he? So, it's complicated. Um, so. In, mod, you know, taking apart the old kitchen, dismantling the, the wood-burning stove, in the old kitchen closet under the linoleum was the trap door he had been told about with the bottles in C2 under the floorboards. That is so cool. Something like this? Yep, and the, the Gordon's Gin is not a, not a product placement, but we have, unfortunately, the frame is screwed to the wall. Uh, but um, when he bought the place in the third floor, as I mentioned, the second floor on one half was where the gambling was. The third floor on one half, the still was still there. And in, unfortunately, 1970s, you didn't have this whole craft movement. It was still, a, it still is a very serious felony to produce illegal alcohol. Yeah. You, you couldn't even home, homebrew back then. Right, right, right. Um, so the, the still came apart for scrap metal. There was a second still in the barn, which is, you know, well, is now my, you know, my, the house I grew up in. Um, you know, with the still were stacks of authentic Gordon's gin labels. You know, That's real great. Gordon's dry London gin bottled in London. And get to sort of Kinda that way off camera are 
several of them, as well as old Applejack labels. Oh, that way. Yeah, yeah, so fr framed and screwed to the wall, which I imagine at some point there are pictures taken. So if this, so what you're saying is if this was, you know, back around that time, anywhere from the 20s to the 50s. 30s, 40s, 50s. 50s, potentially. You would see Gordon's Gin, which was really the only... Gin. Yeah, we had a lot less selection in the U.S. And so a Gordon's Gin bottle without Gordon's Gin in it? Well, no, no, it was real Gordon's Gin made in the third floor bathroom. Right. Gotcha. So you're like, gotcha. you're like a gin made by Gordon. Because most, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're, you're really not going to be drinking this straight. You're going right. to have it in a cocktail. Right, right. Yep. So does it really matter if it's coming from Gordon's no. where I have to pay all this money? Why don't we just make it for pennies right. on the gallon? Right. Illegally. And and put our put new labels on it. Yep. I'm surprised they didn't save the bottles and just. No, absolutely. They just wash the bottles and change them. That is actually topically relevant. Um, well, yeah, I'll, I'll give you guys the still photograph. I'm not. Actually, I might be able to go and get it. The camera might pick it up. But, you know, my dad behind the bar, circa 1982 maybe, with the various Prohibition-era bottles. That's great. And there's a Gordon's, two different Gordon's gin bottles. There's a later one, you know, like mid-1930s. It is a fluted, frosted glass bottle with an onion neck. <clears throat> and if you read the label... It's something along the lines of, owing to fraudulent imitations, Gordon's gin is now packaged in, in these unique bottles. So hmm. you cannot... Right. Yeah, American bootleggers got good at just making any old square, clear glass bottle right, look right, like it right. came across the and, and that's a billion... That's still today a counterfeit booze today is yeah. a billion-dollar-a-year yeah. industry. Mm. Yeah. Finding expensive bottles, wine... And just filling right. them with, you know, the average person wants to spend the money to show. And, the, and how, many, how many people know the difference between McAllen 18 year and McAllen 24 year? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. What's the story with this guy? Yep. So, again, so you guys are from the beverage industry. That is a late 70s, early 80s uh, era Costa beverages. Um, our family name is Costa. No relation to the coffee company from England. In fact, we predate them. Uh, but after the war, uh, my grandfather and his four, uh, three brothers, excuse me, the four brothers, um, they opened their own soda bottling factory here in Newburgh. Uh, yeah. They were in production from, and again, this, I might actually have this wrong, be a question for my father or his cousins who, you know, did work there, summer jobs and whatnot. Uh, 1947 to like 1982, something like that. Um, you know, again, big local industry. It was one of the last factories to close in Newburgh. Um, wow. re relevant to you guys, um, you had a lot of bottling in Newburgh. Uh, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Sprite, all owned locally you know, before they consolidated in the 70s during the Cola Wars. You had locally owned Coke, Pepsi, and Sprite factories, as well as, uh, I think it was a ginger ale, another local brand mm. that I, I do not remember the name uh, milk uh, brewery that is uh, next to the uh, local synagogue now. The brick building sort of behind it was the brewery office. Okay. Not not the maker of Hebrew, by the way. Correct. Yeah. Just, I do just bum, 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 bum. Question, question for an older it's, local person. It's a real beer. Who actually remembers when <laughs> Oh, cool. Actually, yeah. it's, it's a real beer, a and it's kosher. <laughs> very, very nice. I'll have to give that a try. So, um, yeah, any, you know, for the real local yokel people who have been here their whole lives, they remember working summer jobs in the cost of beverages plant. My D.A.R.E. officer, which is an American grade school thing, drug abuse resistance education, right, right, right. 
uh, you know, former U.S. Navy sailor, and he remembers in the 80, you know, 1970s, early 80s, when he would had you know come back from shore leave, taking as many 24 packs of Costa. Um, <laughs> Red it's, Birch beer back to the submarine with him. That's cool. You know, it was their preferred mixer of choice. Right, right, right. Um, so now, yeah, you know, now was that was that bottle was that found here as well? Oh, oh God, was, we we um, wasn't found here. We brought that in. So this, we, that's your family bottle. When when the company was still in business, we were serving it. When the factory, unfortunately, my grand my grandfather and his brothers were a couple of very strong willed, thick headed, um, you know, Gentlemen. Italian and Americans of Sicilian and Genovese descent. Who, on one hand, um, if I, I don't know to the extent that's still true nowadays, but if shelf space was the uh, indicator, shelf space in a supermarket, you know, how many feet along the shelf, you know, how successful your soft drink brand was, they had more shelf space in, you know, southern New York, Connecticut, northeast New Jersey right. than Coke or Pepsi combined. Jeez, that's a big company. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, they uh, contract package for a bunch of other brands. Uh, Uptown is a contract package brand. Um, I believe they're making, um, for the Hasidic community, they were doing a, I don't remember the brand name, but contract packaging for them also. Wow. You know, they bottled a lot of their own. They bottled a lot of other people's products. Um, unfortunately, as I said, the cola wars in the later 70s, early 80s, you had... Affected a lot of that. Yeah. You know, Coke and Pepsi switched their business model to... You know, they used to only really produce the, the syrup and the logos. We're not. We're actually not allowed to say Coke and Pepsi on here, are we? You can say Delta. <laughs> Delta. That's all you can say is Delta. And just no Gordon's gin. No, yeah. yeah. Not on a Delta yeah. flight. Yeah. Right. A, yeah, you can't drink Gordon's gin Delta no. No. on a Delta flight. No. Really? With Coke and Pepsi. No, it's, a, it's under, we're under contract. <laughs> <laughs> well, the more you know. I know. Right? So, yeah. so unfortunately, they, it was come time for the second generation to inherit it. Profits were falling, but production was still up, and they decided rather bi- rather than bickering over whose sons should get they it, were fight. tied to fold, just you know, yeah, wipe our hands off. and not, yeah, not yeah, cause yeah. a family feud. And a lot of my father's generation said, you know, for the love of God, we would have worked our differences out. Like you should have left it open, but <laughs> hey now, now it's collectible. So. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, so now what are? Oh, and yeah, we have a we have about a quarter pallet. My dad bought a couple pallets of the tonic and uh, club soda. That's not as a, that's liquidating. Uh, down that's down in the basement, we have several twenty-four packs, and that individual bottle's been opened. But some of them are still absolutely carbonated, uh, palatable. Um, I've been fortunate enough to have gin and tonic with that's cool thirty-five-year-old tonic yeah, water cool. in it. Cool. You know what? With with the renaissance that's happening here in this city, maybe it'll come back. You know yeah, that's I mean? possible. It yep, is. Yep. I mean, they just brought back Peel's beer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Have to do a little commercial. What are you drinking? Yes. Oh, well, thanks for asking. You're welcome. I'm I'm drinking a classic cocktail, uh, probably pre-Prohibition. It's um, it's called Between the Sheets. Uh, it's a really good cocktail. It's not too sweet. Uh, it is cognac, white rum, and triple sec. And it's That's, very good. And it's called Between the Sheets. And I, I'm not, I don't like sweet cocktails. And it's it's, it's sort of is, sweet and sour. It's got a nice combination yeah. of sweet and sour, yeah. but I would never have thought to put together, I mean, this, between the sheets is that classic, like, 20s art deco. Give me yeah. a, give me a between the sheets. As right? opposed to a 
Hanky Panky. Hanky Panky. So what's so I don't you know. got the Hanky Hanky Panky? What was in it? Was that, that a was... brandy? Um, oh no no no. no. Sours. A, yeah, it's a bitter, sweet vermouth, and uh, gin. 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 It's almost right. like a sort of like a Negroni, but yeah, yeah. no with, with no com, no bittering agent, and right. that's that comes out. That's a classic. There you go. Yep. Pre-prohibition yeah. or maybe even close to maybe post, um, but comes from a famous English actor. Cool. Oh really? Yeah. I'd have to look it up. Okay, don't bother. All right, so as I look this up... Um, so There's some extra spirits in the building. Well, yeah, well, no. Uh, I, I, so what happened when they opened up the trap door? They found all the bottles down there. Oh, yeah, so yeah. How, explain the cash... Explain the cash Actually, of what if, they found. If, if it's uh, as you know, if it's not too gauche, I'm going to go grab the picture because it'll be easy. Yeah, I'm not sure if the viewers will be able to see... But it'll be a good cue to actually remember what they are. Yeah, well... Or maybe I'll hold off. Put, put what we can do... We'll take a picture and we'll add it to this. Yeah. Perfect. Yep, right. I think that's so. perfect. Um, so you had uh, you had a mix of things. Um, again, as you mentioned earlier, there were a lot of distilleries that were uh, still legally operating you know, for you know, supposedly medicinal purposes. So there are pint bottles of William Penn rye whiskey. Um bottled in bond for export only. Again, it obviously was not right, making right, it right. to New York Harbor to get on a right, ship. Right, right. right, right. Um, uh, Cuban rum there, and it, as as a bartender, I have to laugh. Uh, there are a couple of the things that even today seem to sit underneath your bar for several decades. <laughs> old, man, old man Boston's peach snops. Which, right, right, right. Clearly, it probably you know, some that, that, that bottle. Sell any of these? Throw it down there. That bottle of cream de mint. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there and were some other nicer things too. There was, as I mentioned, a second still, which also had its own separate set of trap doors, which was again found a couple years after. You know, had been rumored and confirmed, which had um, again some more of the Rocca cheap medicinal right. rye whiskey, um, some more of the rye uh, rum. Pardon me. But also uh, twelve and a half, if I remember, twelve or thirteen gallons of Applejack or you know, Calvados, if you're European. Uh, just that was bottled. Yep, made made and bottled here. Well, in five gallon, uh, you know, like carboys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it might even have been repurposed water cooler glass yeah, water yeah, bottles. Yeah, right. um, and that uh, Mitch was well known for his skills in making Applejack. Um, as I said, most of the bottles that were came from somewhere else were cheap stuff. There's no you know nice way to put it. You know, even if they're seventy years old, it right. it was yeah. cheap rye whiskey. Um, but did it job? Yeah, the Applejack though is excellent. I think we had maybe a gallon and a half left. Uh, you know, again that that huge yeah. you know glass carboy. Um, it, it is like world class Calvados. Wow, wow. Have you have you had Calvados? No. It's no it's, applejack. It's yeah. It's it's apple spirits, basically right. apple. Yeah, right. yeah distilled but it, hard cider. But right. it can go from being extremely harsh and unpalatable to exquisite. You know, just like other spirits. Right, right. Calvados being from France and right. being yeah, the, yeah, the, the yeah. So the fact that somebody could make an apple brandy that oh, is yeah, similar to Calvados excellent. here illegally. Is pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, I suppose he had decades of perfecting his uh, recipe. Expertise, right? I think we're going to need chat after. We might need to bring back Mitch Nixon's sure. apple brandy reserve or something. Yeah. 
So I'm, I'm open to it. I think that'd be really cool. So what? Are, so there's. If you're oh, looking yeah. here, so these are the, welcome to America. Yeah, <laughs> these a, are these have are, a nice day. These are non-working um, relics that you found here. Uh, correct. As I mentioned, there are a lot of a lot of shenanigans, and there were a couple outbuildings that you know barns and whatnot that were converted or just removed, uh, you know, to make room for uh, the modern parking lot. In one of the outbuildings, <clears throat> pardon me. When it was being torn down in the early 80s, uh, tumbling out of the eaves of the roof were a pair of handguns. You have a um, Colt Lightning, which uh, was Colt's first production double-action revolver, meaning you pull the trigger and it goes bang. You pull the trigger and it goes bang. You don't have to manually recock it. Oh, okay. um, that's other, this guy? That's this guy. That's this one. Okay. Yep. Um... And that is in the the small. Uh, there's the lightning and the thunder. The thunder and the lightning. There, basically, one one's a smaller caliber bullet, the other's a bigger caliber bullet. Um, so I'm sure there's going to be firearm experts who tell me, no, 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 it's the other one. You said the wrong name. <laughs> um, the other one is a Stevens shot pistol. You'll see it. Hold this up. Sure. Thank you. Sort of looks like a metal flare gun with a very long barrel. You would put a single 410 uh, shotgun shell in there, oh, well. and boom. Out would the you know out would go the spray of little pellets. Um, those were made uh, like 1870s to the 1900s. Um, th- you don't they shot pistols that I are generally pretty frowned upon. Um, and these were and these were found concealed in, in the eaves of one of the barn roofs. And yeah. what the old customer said, oh, yeah, of course, keep it out of reach of the kids' hands. Like, you know, they can't get yeah, up right. there. Right, right, right. You know, or, you know, because, of course, back then, you know, leaving, you know, potentially loaded yeah, yeah, yeah. firearms around, which is sort of, you know. Around the baby. Welcome to America. Yeah. Um, I suppose sometimes we're not that much different today. Yep. Um, so, yeah, th- those were originally made as uh, varmint guns for farmers. Again, you have all the apple orchards around here. When you don't want the squirrels and deer affecting your stock, you would have that in your pocket on the back of your horse or tractor. See you later. And we joke about it. We are in a bar room. Imagine there are probably bar room brawls more than once. And if you were the bartender, you don't particularly have to aim. You can just stand in the corner. Tapping it. Yeah, everyone downrange is... Yeah, it's yeah. Yeah, the, the difference between a shotgun and a you know a pistol, you you, you have to aim a pistol, and a shotgun you just point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, anything yeah. in that direction. I'm is, good. So yeah. that so that brings you what you were saying. So we have so, some uh, some ghosts and spirits. Yes. And um, yes, and some sometimes I hesitate because you can get the sort of you know, not cases coming in or people who are just overly enthusiastic. And, oh, I love the ghost hunting TV shows. <laughs> Talk to you. Dim the lights. Yep. Get my Ouija board out. I have a ghost detecting app on my cell phone. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's called Pokemon. Yeah. (laughs) I have my EVP app. (laughs) But um, yeah, this has been so. uh, When my parents reopened the place, uh, they ran it um, for twenty odd years as an uh, award-winning nouveau French restaurant in the eighties when nouveau French was still nouveau. You know, they, they retired uh, late 90s, you know, went their separate ways. We had a tenant here for uh, 12-ish years. I forget the exact dates. 
uh, we took the day-to-day -day management back about 10 years ago now. Um, all three iterations, all different different staff, different crew. Um, you know, not not people who knew each other. Right. Um, you know, it, I bring that up to you know point out it's not a, you know sort of mass hysteria or family superstition. Um, you know, my my uh, father is an overeducated person. I think he has a master's in, in mathematics of all things and. Sort of like me with my, you know, BA in history, minor in archaeology, <laughs> minor in Asian languages. I've never actually done anything with it. Yeah, um, but you've landed in a great spot. Yes. Gender <laughs> tongja. Yeah, truly, comrade. Um, you know, we're not superstitious, you know, buck tooth, barefoot, local yokels. Right. Um, but you've had consistent things over the years. There's the female entity and the male entity. Um, again, it's, it's off camera with this camera angle, but there is a portrait of Mrs. Sauer uh, given to us by uh, her granny, great grandniece. She's the lady around the corner. Yep. Yep. Yeah, the very Teutonic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Thick, strong jaw. Stiff. Uh, you know, that you know, high, 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 standing 1800s collar. She would have remodeled the building. Uh, well, remodeled the first floor. Yeah, there, there she is. There she is. Yep. yep, staring into your soul. <laughs> yeah. Don't look her in the eyes. Yep. So she would have remodeled the first floor around uh, 1900, give or take. Again, that came both from the oral history, from the old customers, um, and, and just doing maintenance over the years. Like in the middle dining room, the newspaper underlayment is like uh, December uh, December 1900, January 1901, something like that. Um, she put in the, I'm getting used to this reversed angle, big mahogany bar behind us, which itself came out of another establishment, so it's even older than 1900. Um, she likes to watch over her bar. In the middle dining room, there is a very, uh, very typical impressionist late 1800s uh, landscape, uh, al uh, yeah, al fresco. We're painting on the what plaster. Yeah, next to the door. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, big, soft, broad brushstroke, soft lighting, landscape, real tip. You know, like Monet, Monet. Um, uh, you know, Van Gogh sort of era. Mm. Um, she likes to watch over her bar. Uh, our tenant of. 11-ish years, did a lot of things that we said, you know, it, it's fun and games now, and it's cool and spooky. You're going to have to live with this. You're going to be the one here late at night being chased out. So he, like, wallpapered over the mural, took Ooh. down her portrait. Um, Ain't gonna work. Yep. Can't, can't do that. Yeah, did, did uh, held seances. Which, no, you know, you know, bad idea. You know, not not to be overly superstitious. No, but, go for it. You know, it's, yeah. Sometimes you're just better off not yeah. bringing out the Ouija board on Halloween. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's you know, it, it's not necessarily that they're malevolent, but they like startling people. A common trend is new female employees encounter the male entity. Um, tall man in later 1800s garbs. Um, one less than uh, not overly literate 17 year old bus girl came in sort of flustered wanting to know who the Monopoly man was and some people say he's wearing a top hat some people say he's wearing a bowler uh, you know uh, uh, mor morning, and the cane. Yeah, uh, morning morning coat you know morning jacket you know, yeah. typical you know, later 1800s kind yeah. of clothing 
Tall and man, about six foot tall, will appear in the corner staring down a new female employee until either, or sometimes an older one too, he'll occasionally, uh, you know, one waitress working tonight, again, foo-fooed it until there was the man in the corner of one of the dining rooms staring at her until she told him something along the you know, I'm not scared, you can leave now. And then he'd, it's a cough. If any of you have ever done, you know, like magic mushrooms, and you know, when you have that sort of <laughs> blurred motion, you know, when you're really we cool. lost that episode. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that sort of happens, and he will sort of yeah. you know go in a direction that can't be described. You know, it's a great like, menu, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> you know, wild mushroom ravioli. Um, yeah, you know, he'll sort I've of. I've seen all the ghosts, <laughs> but I also ate the mushroom. Yeah. You know, well, he'll he'll move in a direction Souffle. that cannot be described and leave them alone. Um, you know, there's cool. other things you'll hear, you know, currently, um, we have come full circle historically, uh, two, two of the apartments are now Airbnb, so we're oh. back to the original route. The other two long-term tenants are, you know, young guys about my age, mid, mid-20s to early 30s, and occasionally on a day, you know, middle of the weekday afternoon, when there's very few people on the property and there's the male chef... The male owner, maybe one of the guys who lives on the third floor. You know, there'll be a woman screaming in one of the other rooms and you know, look around and wonder what the hell is that? Hell, who, the cleaner. You know, wow. Awkwardly call up one of the people upstairs, like, are you and your girlfriend having an argument like two days ago? Like, no, no, she's no. out of town. She's <laughs> There's nobody here. Yeah. yeah. Well, you th- I, I, when you have something, uh, an establishment with this much history. history. You want it, something. It, the smell sticks around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, awesome. and that smell, that energy sticks did around. I, did I get to the murder? I don't remember if I talked about the murder. Oh, no, let's do that one. Oh, oh right. Oh, right. Okay. Forgot to talk about the murder. So the whole reason here? why... Here? So the whole reason why Mrs. Sauer had to sell the business in the late 1920s was not that she got in trouble for bootlegging. As I said, she was... Openly serving police and judges. Right, right, right. Uh, we have had a retired judge come in with his grandson to show him where the great grandfather, also a judge, was drinking in the 30s. Um, but as I mentioned, she was a, a widower, moved up out of New York City, had an adult son, had the trapdoors, was said to also have an abusive boyfriend. <laughs> and the story told was one day her adult son was coming home to find his mother and the boyfriend in the old kitchen where the trap door was. We were in this yep. kitchen where the trap door is, by the way. Yeah, you will see little, little cramped, but man, yeah. got a kind of low-angle yeah. blurry shot. You know, it, it is still there, just has a shelf on top of it. Um, there are still bottles. Not We have not removed all of the bottles from there. I think that's good karma. Yep. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think yeah. so, too. But the, what the old customers and her descendants said was the boyfriend insulted his mother in front of the son. So the son hit him. He went over backwards and broke his neck and died in the trap door. Damn. They buried him behind the barn. The local country club was not there back then, nor was the interstate. That was a swamp and a uh, uh, garbage dump. Buried him out behind the barn somewhere, sold the place to good old Mitch, who had strong ties to organized crime, and got out of New York. 
And then when Mitch took the place over, he expanded the distilling, brought in the coal girls, brought in the gambling. So is there any record of this guy's burial behind Um, the barn? The burial is one of the few pieces of material history that we have not found direct evidence from. Um, I showed you guys that mash pit that we found in 2010 when we were repairing the floorboards. Our initial thought was, "Oh my god, in. he's under the mash you know, pit!" Yeah, like, well, we didn't know, we didn't know what it was at first, right, and right. we had to drill open that big cement. Could have been Jimmy Hoffa. Foot, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's six foot tall, three foot wide cement slab buried in the crawl space under the floor. It's like, wow, you know, ten feet away from the trap door where he supposedly died. Like, oh, that's where he died, and that must be him. It didn't help. In retrospect, I, I neglected to bring it over. I've been told since by his uh, local historians it was a good luck superstition but there were a pair of hobnailed shoes sitting on top of the cement slab <laughs> oh boy that there he is well, just, just put his shoes as, as the cement is setting yeah and walk away um, but it was confirmed that he he uh, was killed uh, yeah. here in the kitchen that we don't know there is some written evidence so as I mentioned in deeds and records um, I've gone back and you know this was you know, a, a bit of a German, you know, enclave at that time, early 1800s. Um, her great-granddaughter, great-great-great-granddaughter, yeah, the mother's great-granddaughter, the kids are great-great, um, did do, you know, the, the family genealogy, the yeah, research. Yeah, yeah. You know, she grew up hearing from grandma about prohibition. I, I love it. Or it might, might have been great-grandniece, I suppose, if she only had a son. Um but, you know, they, they you know, grew up in the neighborhood and, you know, heard the stories. There was a man named Kunin, which was supposedly the boyfriend's name, who lived around the corner, you know, less than a half mile from here during the 19, you know, 1920s. So there There's was a, a young man in the neighborhood by the name yeah. that was given. Wow. Didn't George Washington have his headquarters around the corner? Oh, yes. yeah. Yep. Was he yeah. a local? Uh, well, no, no. He, um, no. yeah, he, he was didn't. in Newburgh in, uh, two period for, uh, two periods. It was one of the places where he sat still the longest during the revolution. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, he was all over, you know, people joke. It's like, you know, pieces of the Berlin wall, you know, it's, you know, Washington slept here. Signs. Oh yeah. You, I mean, you go down just outside of Westchester and half the historic homes, Washington stopped here. I already yeah, yeah. slept here, slept yeah. here, stopped here. At the... I thought he was, uh, nothing but I thought he was a local. Yeah, I mean, he, he was here for like a year and a half at one point, uh-huh. which given how much at, they had to move around was yeah, a long yeah, time. This, yeah. is, this is where he spent the end of the war. Yeah, right. the second yeah the second mm-hmm. time, uh, he had a, for those of them, not to go into too big of a tangent, yeah, yeah. I apologize, <laughs> uh, with American history and the American Revolution, early in the war he had an absolutely crushing, humiliating defeat where the, he, they had to run for their lives out of New York City with the Battle of Brooklyn Heights, the Battle of Manhattan. And it was always a big black mark on his career. Um, After the ceasefire was signed, but before peace had been officially negotiated, a lot of those coastal cities were still held by the British Navy. Um, Places like Westchester County were, became sort of the dark side of the revolution you don't necessarily hear about. You know, partisan warfare, uh, no man's land, you know, something, you know, places that might have been more familiar to, like, people who lived through, like, the Spanish Civil War, you know, militias and counter-militias, neighbors turning on neighbors, and it was always this, you know, big 
you know, Thorn, you know, that disaster. No one was sure what, if the peace process would take hold, if the ceasefire was, would last. So all around here, you have numerous historical sites, both from the defense of the Hudson River, when they tried to separate New, uh, New England from the rest of the colonies. Yeah. And then later in the war, they were planning one last grand campaign if, if the ceasefire broke down. And during that you know, sort of limbo period, again, a lot of the history that um, Mike had glossed over, you basically had an attempted coup, the beginnings of an attempted coup d'etat where the Newburgh conspiracy... Um, if you ever read about the revolution, you know, there is a bit of a reason why Benedict Arnold switched sides. I think like the soldiers were, and again, I'm sure my friend, the, the county historian is, is probably Rolling shaking her head. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh no, she, so she's about my age. She lives I, down the street. We, we may have to come back yeah. to this as another yeah. pot. This yeah. is a whole yeah. other you know, the, can of worms. Yeah, That's the, right. the army was paid a handful of times during the entire war. The money was worthless. And a group of officers circulated an anonymous letter. That's a word I have a hard time saying. Um, basically proposing on marching against Congress, making Washington military dictator, and paying the soldiers with the frontier, you know, in the with the land in the wild frontiers of Ohio. Uh, Washington apparently accidentally found out about this, and the very short version is showed up to their camp meeting and basically just talk them down and shame them sort of like uh, Franklin Roosevelt hiding his wheelchair from the public right right uh, Washington had hid um, even from a lot of his own officers that he was you know, basically going blind he really had needed very it. very strong glasses yeah. just to read and in in the calculated act of drama, in reminding them, you know, you have fought, you know, we, you know, I think the, the opening address was, you know, you know, gentlemen, if you'll pardon me, my spectacles, I've grown old and frail in the service of democracy. Something along those lines mm. as part of, you know, the dramatically showing up at the meeting and dramatically revealing that he has been suffering also. And if we do this now, it will undo everything that we have fought against. And it was, um, you know, a critical moment. It came close to ending up like, you know, like the French Revolution, Napoleon, the Russian Revolution, yeah. and Lenin. But the force of personality, they they left ashamed that they had even, you know, contemplated it or were willing to hear the idea, and the conspiracy was talked down, which was nah. a little Americana there. I think we're going to have to come back. There's a lot of, <laughs> yeah. a lot of history in this town. Yeah. There yeah. is cool. enormous yeah. amounts yeah. of history, yeah. you know, and there's, and that's not even scratch. Uh, that's not even, you know, talking yeah. about Thomas Edison, yeah, yeah, talking yeah. about, yeah. Yeah. um, uh, Fiat had, had their first car factory near right. here and first lawnmower. Yeah. Right? The first, <laughs> which, which we stole the patent from England. We were the, in the early 1800s. We were the China of the 19th century. And, that was an English design, and awesome. we modified it and made it commercially viable in like the 1840s or something like that. And now with hipsters, it's all going to come back. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Good God. Yep. Costa soda's coming back. Yep. Uh, well, I, that was awesome. Yeah, I've learned more tonight than I have in the last year. That was a yeah. hell of a way to kick off. Yeah, brilliant. Kick off. 2020. Uh, 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Another cocktail, I think? Once, yeah, I once think we, we wrap we, this up. Yeah, we may have That's to. Yeah. Uh, 
Thank you so much for sharing this. Oh, gentlemen, yeah. gentlemen, it's been an honor. Thank, I, thank you to the people who've been viewing. And I, I'm sure there's stuff that have been left out, but there's just so much history. Yeah, that's you happening. have to rein me in, or I will go on on <laughs> long-winded. So willing. Well, that's that's why we're here. So that's what we do. That's what we do. If you are in the area of Newburgh, you're passing through. Uh, make sure you stop the North Plank Tavern. Uh, we we did not have a chance um, to sample everything or. Uh, thank you, Gordon. Yeah, we Jen. haven't even gone around. <laughs> Unintentional product placement. Uh, the food looks absolutely fantastic. Um, I, I didn't even get it, get into the uh, we, back in the day when my mother was the chef. We used to do um, uh, American Culinary Federation's uh, competitive cooking contests. We were, I was a little kid, and I might have the year wrong. I think 1996 for a gold medal in the country. Oh wow! wow. Yeah, she's she's retired cooking from yeah, yeah since then. But yeah, so yeah, we, this. We, Take the food really this is a this is a real gem if you're in the area make sure you stop by we'll post a bunch of pictures and all that good stuff and um, we will see you soon I guess yeah we'll uh, I think we're gonna see you I, somehow or another I think we're gonna see you again for for another you're gonna be like our 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 history uh, guru so uh, well, it's been it's been a pleasure thank you <laughs> thank you thanks for stopping by and listening in Check us out as well as other great podcasts at Food and Beverage Magazine's Podcast Network. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And remember to eat, imbibe, and dream. See you next show.